Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Would you turn, if you have a Bible with you today, to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, there are copies out on the table. Please take one. If you know someone who needs one, please give it to them. It's our privilege to be able to provide the Word of God to people. You owe us nothing for it. Please just take it. There are resources on a table out there. Those are free. Help yourself to those if they can help you, if they can encourage you. Um, We are coming soon and quickly into a political season, even though I feel, though, at times we simply live in a political season, so maybe we do. There is a little book out there, a little red book called How Do I Love My Fellow Church Members Who Have Different Political Views Than Me. I would encourage you to pick that up and read it. Many of us may be united in our thought, but I am not so foolish to think that we are 100% united in this room, and we are bound by something so much greater than earthly politics. Let us seek encouragement from God's word on how to love one another through a political season. We are continuing this morning in our series, One Another, and I've been reminding us each week, when a dead soul is brought to new life by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we call that being born again. When a person is saved according to God's mercy, by God's grace through faith in Jesus, and professes Jesus is Lord, that soul is raised from death to life. And that person passes from an old life to a new life. Faith in Jesus Christ does not leave us where we are. It beckons a change in how we live and how we conduct ourselves. Many of us know that it is not a miracle. It takes great work for us to honor the commands of Scripture in how we live. Many in their faith, especially when first saved, but I think regardless of how long you have been walking with the Lord... Many are prone to feeling alone. I have no doubt that in this room there are Christians who felt alone even this past week, especially when new in faith, or perhaps not when new in faith, perhaps simply when beginning to actively live your faith. Many of us have probably professed faith for a very long time. If your testimony is anything like mine, it took you a long time to begin actively living out what you say you believe, when you begin actively living out your faith, relationships change, circles of friends change, hobbies and recreation change, the scenery of life changes. And that is something that causes us to simply feel alone. Is this faith in Jesus worth it for how alone I now feel in the world? Thankfully, God does not save Christians and leave them alone. He calls them into a community with one another, the church. He makes them compelling to the lost world around them. We've been focusing on one another, a compelling Christ-created community. We've been considering this uh, over several weeks. We've considered the scriptural commands to love one another for Christ's people. The scriptural commands to forgive one another, to pray for one another. Last week, to bear with one another, to bear one another's burdens. This week, we'll focus on encouraging one another. We are called, biblically, to encourage one another. We're turned to the book of Hebrews this morning, and I have not done this for every one another teaching, but in the book of Hebrews, the context of Hebrews is very important for us to understand encouraging one another from verses that are found in Hebrews. So uh, a little bit of context for those who uh, maybe just love the Bible and want to know how does this one story in many parts fit together. The book of Hebrews, uh, the exact author is unknown. I will, I'm sure, I have no doubt, Freudianly slip and say Paul at some point in time because that's just who I feel may have wrote it. But we don't know. We do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew Christians. This is extremely important. So pay attention. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians who were struggling to not fall back into the former way of life in Judaism. They were Jews, saved through faith in Christ, 
And they were struggling with living out faith in Christ with one another and not falling back into Judaism, their old life. The note that you want to write down for all of you note takers, Christians living by faith were struggling to not fall back into their old life. They were struggling with not persevering in new life in Christ. The theme of Hebrews, if you've never studied it or read it, the theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. He's better. He's by far superior. There's no other sacrifice for us. Hebrews works this out, the author meticulously showing the sacrifice and the greatness, the prominence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire letter is written to help Christians see the glory of the Christian life as compared to the old life as better because of Jesus. Is this life truly worth it? Yes, because Jesus is truly greater than anything else that we have been pursuing. Jesus is by far superior to any other sacrifice. God, Lord, he is superior. He is better. Christ, superior to any sacrifice that we ourselves could offer. We know that man of himself, it is fact, can never atone for our sin. It was necessary for man to have a substitutionary atonement. We could not do it. Why can't I die for my sin? Because your sin deserves death. And so you needed a sacrifice who did not deserve death, the Lord Jesus Christ, taking that death on himself for us when it was undeserved. Christ offered himself and settled, appeased the wrath of God for sin forever to all those who through faith call on him and are saved. Everything we will examine this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 must be viewed in the light of the entire context of Hebrews. The Hebrew Christians were struggling with falling back into an old way of life. They were struggling with persevering through faith in Christ. And as we consider what holds us, we just sang the words, he will hold me fast. What holds us there? What holds us there is that Christ is better than anything we can do, anything we can imagine or accomplish. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse, you know what? I can't help myself. It says 22, but can we start in verse 19? <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you pray with me? Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in this hour needing your help asking, Father, for guidance and wisdom from the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, praying, Father, that through the preaching of your word today, through our worship, our fellowship, our praying, the reading of your word, God, praying that your spirit would minister through all of these things, first, that you would receive the glory, and second, that we would be, be built and made into the community that you have designed and desired, that we would be compelling to the world around us as we live our life with one another. Father, as your word is proclaimed today, not only here but in many places, we pray that the preaching of your word would call the sinner to salvation and repentance of sin. Father, we pray that your word would promote the holiness of your people, that we would be holy as you are holy. And we pray that Christ, our Savior, would be exalted above all things. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. One another, encourage encourage one another. My aim today is to show that encouraging one another is the responsibility of every single Christian because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. 
This is important. We see in the New Testament in a couple of different places that encouragement is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit among the body of Christ for the purpose of encouraging the body of Christ. So if you're like me, you have encountered people who just have that gift. No matter where you go, no matter what's going on around them, no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're dealing with, they have the ability to open their mouth and encourage you no matter what. That is the gift of encouragement. That is the working of the Holy Spirit of God in that person to encourage and build up the body of Christ. Why do I say this? Well, it's important because perhaps like me, you may say, I don't have that gift. Now you might say, oh, pastor, you're an encouragement to me. That may be true. Praise God. I hope that I am. But I know that I don't have the gift of encouraging. I know people that do. I do not have that. And so we may be tempted to say, I don't have the gift of encouragement. I'll let those that have that gift take care of encouraging people. However, if that is your train of thought this morning, I'm here to keep you on the hook, not let you off of it for encouraging one another. It is our responsibility as Christians to encourage one another. I could have turned also to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, which says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you have been doing. It is the call of God to his people to encourage and build up Christians in the church. Interesting, both places here in Hebrews chapter 10 and in 1 Thessalonians talk about encouraging one another for a specific reason. Christ is returning. You can see it if you give your attention to the end of verse 25. We'll talk a bit later on. Hebrews 10 verse 25 at the end, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul has just laid out his case that Christ is returning. With the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are left will be caught up together with them in the air, that where Jesus is, we may be forever also with him. Interesting in both places. The encouragement that we draw from one another and the encouragement that we are to provide to one another is to be given in the light of this life is ending. And we have hope beyond this life because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, you'll note that it starts, let us draw near. And many are saying, pastor, you've told us before, it says, therefore, we've always got to back up. That's why I did all that work a few minutes ago. All of Hebrews is setting up this massive therefore in Hebrews chapter 10, the work of Jesus Christ, the completion of his work, the perfect sacrifice. Look what it says earlier in chapter 10. Look up on the page with me to verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's work is done, and it is perfect, and it is complete, and we are watching that be lived out in one another's lives. We can look around the room. It's easy. We'll be together, I hope, all day long. There's a whole lot of imperfection in this room. But through faith in Christ and in light of his work, perfected for all time and being sanctified. And so he comes to this, therefore, notice what he says in between, therefore, in verse 22, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The work of Christ is far greater than any other sacrifice could ever have been. No more need, Paul, there we go, the writer would establish in Hebrews, no need for the blood of bulls and the blood of goats to do any more work because Christ's blood, once for all, has done everything by the new and living way that he opened up through the curtain that is his flesh. I mean, the writer here is doing such deep Old Testament work, I'd probably have to host a week-long conference to really unpack and explain all that is being said in a few short and simple words. Through the curtain, the priests in the Old Testament would enter through the curtain, and only they once, and only they once a year for all of the people. Christ has done that for all, for all time. And since we have a great high priest, Hebrews chapter 4 would tell us, a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness, who is tempted in every way as we are yet did not sin. In light of all of that, therefore, in light of all of that, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. I made my own note. Let us draw near, not fall away. In your life, as you follow Christ by faith, 
are you drawing near to God because of the work of Jesus, or are you more tempted and more prone to fall away? This was the temptation facing this original audience. Perhaps our life in Judaism was a better life. Perhaps our religion was better. Perhaps our theology was better. Perhaps the way we actually just conducted ourselves was better. Let us draw near, near to God. The Christian life, however, is not one that should ever be considering, maybe it's better if I go backwards. The Christian life is one that should always be moving ever toward God, ever increasing in holiness, ever looking more and more like Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's work, are you drawing near and continuing on and being sanctified and purified and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Or are you stagnating? Are you standing still? Has nothing really changed at all? If you look at your own life and say, nothing has changed about me from the day I professed faith in Jesus Christ to this day, then we need to examine what your profession of faith in Jesus Christ was. What was the gospel that you believed? Because perhaps a gospel of works has crept in and you have not understood that. Perhaps you are trying to do your way into holiness and you cannot. We are made holy. Let us draw near. Are you drawing near? For those that are, are used to application coming at the end of the sermon, you're going to want to pay very careful attention because in the New Testament, often application is rolling through the text. And so I'm going to give application as we work through the text this morning. That first point, you can ask yourself, are you drawing near? Because of the work of Christ, let us draw near. Are you drawing near to God? How do we draw near? It's interesting. He tells us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with your hearts sprinkled clean from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. With a true heart. Has your heart been changed? Do you find yourself thinking differently than the old man? We know how the old man thinks because we can watch them think all around us. We can watch the actions of man, and actions are just thoughts produced. Our thoughts lead to our action when they are not governed by something. And the Christian has thoughts that are governed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we are not all as equally bad as we possibly can be. I don't murder my neighbor because the love of Christ constrains me to obey Christ. I don't do those outlandishly sinful, wicked things to people around me because Christ governs my heart, my conduct, my speech, my attitude. Yes, the old man slips out, doesn't it, from time to time. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to look at that. I didn't mean to go there. No, you didn't, but you recognized the difference. And you know, if you're in this room, changed from old life to new life, you know that in the old life, you didn't care about those things but now you do. All of a sudden, the actions start to matter. Why? Because our hearts and our minds are governed by the Holy Spirit of God, by his word, by his truth. Let us draw near to God with a true heart, that heart of stone removed by God, a heart of flesh given by God that beats with the blood of Christ covering it and is directed by the Holy Spirit of God. This is the work of God in saving sinners. A change from an old life to a new life. Draw near with a full heart in full assurance of faith. I had to draw a couple of notes on this. The work of Jesus Christ gives great assurance. If like me, one of your favorite songs may be, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You'll note that we don't sing Blessed certainty. We don't sing blessed insurance. We sing blessed assurance. Why? Many want certainty, but the language of the Bible is assurance. Why? Certainty relies on fact, and the truth of God's word certainly is fact. But the language of the Bible is language of trust in the promise of God. Faith, that all that God has said he will do, he will do. Faith, that through faith in Jesus Christ, I am pardoned of my sin, justified freely forever. I am free of guilt, and I will have eternity with God because of trust in God's word. 
full assurance of faith. I have confidence because of God's word. I am convinced God's word is true, but certainty waits our eyes opening in eternity where all of the wicked, evil, chores, fallen nature, where all of this life passes finally for all time into the presence of God. Assurance relies on trust. Trust that every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Trust a life of faith. I have great assurance because of the word of God to me in my faith. Even in faith, would you look over at Hebrews chapter 11? It's probably on the same page. Maybe you have to flip a page. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Look what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Note that the writer doesn't say the certainty of things hoped for, the absolute knowledge of all things hoped for, the assurance. I am trusting that everything I am hoping for will happen because of God's word. Different versions use different words there for assurance, evidence, substance, confidence of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We draw near with a true heart, a heart that has been changed, full of sure, a full assurance of faith because of God's word to us. Lastly, in verse 22, with hearts clean and bodies pure. When a person calls on Jesus Christ through faith, a necessary change happens. I am not content as a pastor to watch lives never change. I'm not content when my own life doesn't change. Christ's work brings a necessary change in saving sinners to new life through faith in him. God cleanses us. God purifies us in and out. Yes, we still wrestle with sin. Yes, the old man still is there and we are tempted still by the evil desires of our heart. The filth and the dirt of sin that stained us is washed away. And though we wrestle, we have hope and faith that every promise of God in Christ is yes and amen. My sin will be forever and eternally accounted for before God based on Christ's work or not. With hearts clean and bodies pure. I had to use several dot, dot, dots in there. I think they're called an ellipsis grammatically. To see that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with hearts clean and bodies pure. I enjoy the responsibility that's left on us there. I ask, though, at this point in time, are your hearts clean and are your bodies pure? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you professed faith in Jesus Christ? And are you, in the only way, actually able to draw near to God? For the only way that sinful man can approach a holy God is through the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith alone in him. There's no other way for any person ever throughout all time to ever come before a holy God. It must be through faith in Christ. I urge you, if you have not called on the Lord's name, do so today. Father, forgive me. Jesus, you are Lord. God, I believe you have raised Jesus from the dead. You are holy. I am sinful. Forgive me. Save me call in the name of the Lord today and be saved. If you have more questions about that, I would love to talk with you this afternoon. Let us draw near, Hebrews 22, 10, 22. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast. Why? Because drawing near is not simply enough. When you get there, you got to hang on. And how many of us know the temptation of not hanging on, of simply letting go? What causes us to let go? What causes you to let go as you draw near to God? What causes you to let go as opposed to holding on to, look what it says, the confession of our hope without wavering? What is the confession of our hope? That God is holy, that I am sinful, that through faith in Jesus Christ I am forgiven of sin when I repent before a holy God and I have the hope of eternity. That is the confession of our hope in a nutshell. The confession of your hope. What causes us to not hold fast? Well, you name the distraction. You tell me. 
What causes you to not hold fast to the confession of your hope? Distractions abound. Idols creep in. Not necessarily sinful things either. Sometimes the distractions of being a husband and a father are enough to pull at my clinging fast to the confession of my hope. Sometimes the responsibilities of life, men working and providing for your family, wives caring for your husband and your children, teaching them. These things can become distractions to us that are good things in the scripture, but they distract us from holding fast to our only hope. If you're holding fast to anything other than the confession of your hope, you're holding fast to something in vain. Remember, this is being written to Hebrew Christians. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Verse 23. What was the confession of the hope for the Jewish believers? I'm going to step out of Christianity and into Judaism. What was their hope? That the high priest did his job right. That the sacrifice was offered at the right time in the right way on the right day. That the blood was sprinkled. That the right animal was used. I'm trusting, I'm hoping that he did his job right because that's how I find my atonement before God. There's a lot of error to trust an imperfect man. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. Why do you think it sets up earlier in Hebrews that he had no sin? Tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. A confession of our hope is the perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The priest performed his job perfectly when Christ was crucified. The sacrifice was perfect. The blood was applied perfectly. It was the right time on the right day at the right moment for the eternal son of God coming as a man, dying on the cross, buried for our sins. It was perfect. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. How often are we tempted to let go of our faith and our testimony because of distractions in this life. Why would we let go of the eternal life-giving hope that we have through faith in Jesus Christ? Because like Hebrew Christians that this was written to, our sinful flesh doubts. And the writer here says, don't doubt. Don't doubt Don't doubt the confession of your hope. Don't doubt the work of Jesus Christ. Why? Look at the end of verse 23. Because he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't be bashful. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Don't waffle about unsure. Hold fast. Why? For he who promised is faithful. God will not fail. God will not forsake you. God will not leave you alone. There is no need to doubt. Now, several of you, I'm sure, are asking, um, Pastor, you said this message was about encouraging one another. I did. You'll note that in verse 22 and verse 23, the thoughts that we've been challenged by this far are vertical thoughts. What I have challenged you with through verse 22 and verse 23 is, how is your life with the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? Because if that's not right, don't worry about encouraging me. In fact, I would would actually ask that you don't because your encouragement will be worldly. Your encouragement will be your own thoughts. It will not be directed or governed by the work of the Holy Spirit. If your vertical life, your vertical thoughts are not correct and in line with God, your encouragement to those around you is going to fall short of what is needed in their life. It'd be a good word. Hey, good job. Good. Thanks. But these first two points have had to do with our personal relationship. Personal, not private your personal relationship with God, not your private relationship with God. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is to be lived out publicly amongst one another. We should know the struggles, the highs, the lows, the confession of our hope. If we're holding fast, if we're drawing near because the life that we've been raised to is a life that we live publicly. It's a personal relationship lived out publicly in community. I would submit that's a compelling point in and of itself. 
The first two are vertical points. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Then we come to verse 24, and the thought shifts from vertical to horizontal. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how to. Let us consider. Your encouragement of brothers and sisters around you is something that you are called to put thought into. Let us consider how to stir up, to love and good works, to encourage our encouragement, our stirring up of one another to love and good works is something we are to give thought to, to put thought into, to think about in ways that you can how to stir one another up. The Greek there for stir one another up, I don't always do it, but sometimes it's helpful. The Greek word there, I didn't even write it down because it was very strange and I would never be able to say it, for stir. Other translations in the room probably use the word stimulate, provoke, motivate. All those thoughts are tied up in the word for stir. Literally carrying with it the idea, I hope you're ready for this, stir one another up, stimulate to, motivate to, move someone to. The Greek word there literally carries the word to incite. That's the thought behind stir one another. I am to incite you. Let us consider how to, what is the only other word? I thought about this for a long time. There's only one word that I could personally come up with to follow the word incite. Riot. It's all I could think of. Like, these people are just inciting riot. How often have I heard it in my life? How often is to incite a negative word? You incite, you provoke to anger to jealousy, to hate. Where do those things come from? The evil one. Let us consider how to incite one another to love and good works. One another, I want to point out here, the one another here in verse 24, and let us consider, I'm speaking to those who have been with this from the beginning. I think we're five weeks in right now. I've been here from the beginning of this series. Let us consider how to stir up Alelon. There it is. That's our word. Remember, alelon. One another. Reciprocally. Together. Me to you, you to me, you to one another, all of us as Christians in the sight of God, the fear of God, for the glory of God in light of the work of Christ. Together, let us consider how to incite one another to love and good works. I spent like five minutes just laughing about the thought of inciting people to love and good works. I want to provoke you. I want to prod you. I want to encourage you to love and good works. To love. Is it not interesting? Here in this verse on encouraging one another and in inciting, stirring one another up to love, that one one another command helps us fulfill one of the other one another commands. And I derailed in my thought and in my study. I stayed focused for the point of this sermon this morning, but as I give thought to, as I consider how to stir you up to love, I'm helping you to love one another. How do we love one another? As Christ loved us. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus told us. And in our living together with one another, we are to be stirring one another up to love one another. Fascinating. It was just simply fascinating to me. To love. Stir one another up to love. Help motivate one another to love. And you'll be interested to know, the word here for love is that word we talked about when we talked about loving one another. It is the word agape. Stir one another. This is just blowing my mind, right? If you ever want to come and sit in the office while I'm studying, please come on up. 
It happens randomly every day. It happens intentionally on Thursday and Friday, and sometimes I might have to invite you to my house until one or two o'clock in the morning, but you're more than welcome to observe me come derailed as I study God's word. We are to stir one another up to love one another, how? Unconditionally, in a way that we cannot. I don't know how to stir you up to love unconditionally because I can't do it. What do we need then? We need Christ. We must be reborn. That thought never leaves us. If you're one who tires of hearing the gospel, we have to sit down and have a conversation. There is no blood-bought, redeemed sinner who should ever tire of hearing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And only in light of that work can we stir one another up to love. How? We've talked about that with loving one another. How can we love one another? You can go back. If you weren't here, we can talk about that sermon another time. I'm not going to dwell on how to love one another. We've done that. However, our direction to encourage one another should be feeding our loving of one another. Not just to love, though. Look what it says. Let us consider how to stir one another up to what? To love and good works. I'm so thankful when the Bible talks about good works. Because sometimes we wrestle with, what am I supposed to do if God is so holy and God is so sovereign? What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to do good works. And I'm supposed to stir you up to them. And you're supposed to stir me up to them. And we're supposed to stir one another up to them. You understand that the Christian life is not one of passivity while God does what he will do like a puppet master. It's one of responsibility because of what he has done for us. We are to do good works. We are going to explore this thought more as we round out this series. I'm not going to dwell today on good works because we're going to look at speaking to one another. Oh, that'll be fun. And we're going to look at serving one another. There is good works. They're wrapped up right there. Stir one another to love and to good works. Consider how to stir one another up. For now, the good works that God's word says evidence a new life born again through faith in Jesus Christ that do good works. What does that mean? Stir one another to love and good works. It means you are to do the commands of God to one another. Do good for one another. Speak well to one another. Encourage one another. When you do these things, you are doing good works. We are responsible. Our good works, the Bible tells us, our good works cause men to give God glory, and he's glorified in our good works. Why? Because we're not good. And so any good that is coming from us is produce of the Holy Spirit of God in us and glorifies God the Father. Stir one another up to love and to good works. An observation for you at the end here of verse 24, and this is, a, this is important. At the end of verse 24, only one English translation team inserts a period between verse 24 and verse 25. Now, we need to remember, I'm not here just to preach and pray that the Holy Spirit of God will use some word from this foolish man to encourage you to life in Christ. I'm also here to help educate you about the Bible the Bible was not written with punctuation, neat and tidy, the way we read and write in our English language. It was just words upon words, line upon line. If you ever see copies of original manuscripts, it's just symbols. It will mean nothing to you if you don't know Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. It will mean absolutely nothing if you start reading. Only as time progressed and man started to learn how to insert punctuation to help us understand thought and subdivide words and memorize things. Verse 24 to verse 25, in only one English translation, has a period. Most, mine, the English Standard Version, has a comma. I saw several. In your hands probably is a semicolon. This is important. You're like, Pastor, you're derailing on something here that means nothing. Oh no, it means something very much. We are, in, we are called, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And the author, divinely used by the Holy Spirit of God, connects one of the greatest ways for us to encourage one another. Let us consider, verse 24, how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day draw near. Not neglecting meeting together. I believe if you're holding a King James Bible, it says something along the lines of, do not forsake the assembly. If I remember correctly, the New American Standard Bible, and I could be off, says something like, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You want to know the number one way to encourage one another as Christians? From right here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is what you're doing right now. The greatest thing that you can do to encourage one another is to draw together for the specific worship of God intentionally. To actually physically come together. Why? Because you're putting everything else on hold. How many of you have a thousand and one other things that you know you could, should, and would be doing if you were not in this room? I'll put my hand up for all of us. I'll do that. I'll just do that. Right? But every person, at least in this room, and maybe many of our brothers and sisters who wanted to, but were kept from being able to join with us today, everyone here has put their life on hold today and come here for the purpose of worshiping God, hearing from his word, and fellowshipping together with one another. To encourage one another means to be together. Now, I want to draw a couple of different lines. You can do that in groups of three and four throughout the week. That's a good thing to do. You can be a part of a text group, a chat group, a phone call group, a video call group, whatever you want to do. Those are all good things. Those are things that help us to encourage one another to love and good works. But the greatest single thing that any Christian can do to encourage another Christian is to gather weekly, intentionally, specifically for the worship of God. God has called us to this life. Just as the author of Hebrews comes off of talking about all the work of Christ and all that it means for us just before he launches into Hebrews 11, 12, and 13 and talks about what will happen to these Hebrew Christians if they revert back and the joy that awaits them if they do not and how they are to live together sacrificially. Before he says all that, he says, as you stir one another up, as you think about how to stir one another up to love and good works, go to church. I love it. Like, if there's a point that this pastor loves to preach, I got to be really careful because I'll derail on how infinitely important it is that every single one of you come to this building every single week to encourage one another in life with Christ. Then why are we so prone to not do it? When you're not here, other people are not encouraged. Pastor, you draw encouragement from how many people show up? No, I draw encouragement that anybody shows up. It's not how many. It's that anyone shows up. Do you know why? Because if one heart shows up, they were drawn by the Holy Spirit of God to honor God and worship God. Look around the room. This time you actually can. All of the people in this room, we're still getting over this one another issue, aren't we? Oh, I'm not sure I can look at my neighbor then you're never going to love them, you're never going to forgive them, you're never going to pray for them, you're never going to encourage them, you're never going to serve them, and you're never going to speak to them. Look around the room. The people in this room gathered here to worship God today. And we miss our brothers and sisters that are not with us. We are thankful that we came. What does the writer of the Hebrews letter go on to encourage us then? not neglecting to meet together, make the things of God, the people of God, make those a priority, not neglecting to meet together. Look, verse 25, right in the middle, as is the habit of some. Can you draw that out, pastor? What is the habit? If I have to think about the last time I saw you, I'm concerned that you're making a habit of not coming to church. That's how I work. Just, just know that. If I have to think about when was the last time I saw this person and I can't come to it, and then I have to start asking, have you seen so-and-so? That's a long time for you to not be here. That's just how I work. Now, I'm not, this is not a guilt. This is not a shame trip. Please don't receive it as such. That's just how I work. I don't remember the last time I saw them. Now I'm concerned. Are they okay? And then I fall back on, am I loving them? Am I praying for them? Am I forgiving them if there's something in the way? Am I, am I bearing their burdens, right? Because, because sometimes the absence of people falls on the responsibility of the people around them. Ouch. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. No, the habit. The habit of some. The practice. They do not gather with the people of God. Yet they call themselves a Christian. Listen. 
To be a Christian is to belong to the church. Which one? You have to determine, but you got to go. You got to be there. You've got to show up. You've got to put your butt in the seat and be an encouragement to people around you in your attendance. Encouraging in attendance. What are other ways that we encourage one another when we're together? When you show up, you encourage someone. Your presence brings encouragement. As we see the grace of God in your life, I'm here today as we observe last week the Lord's Supper and you receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. I'm encouraged because I see the grace of God at work in your life. You're claiming forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're claiming salvation for eternity through faith in him because you are taking the bread and the body to yourself. What other ways do we encourage one another when we're here? When I see you singing God's praise, I'm reminded that in your life there is joy in you, there is a change in you, and you are praising God in light of it. It's not just singing because I enjoy the song. Sometimes I don't enjoy the songs. Confessions of an honest pastor. I should have entitled the sermon that this morning. Sometimes I loathe the songs we sing, but it's not about whether I like the song or not. It's about what the song says about what God did for me. And when I see you singing those songs out, passionately, stilly, stoically, however you're doing it, I'm reminded that you are relating to the work of God in your life because of the song that we're singing. And that's encouraging to me. I might not like a, I might not like a song at all, but I might see a brother or sister who's weeping as they sing it. That's encouraging. That's connection of the Holy Spirit of God in their heart, producing that emotion because of what Christ has done for them. How else do we encourage one another? We encourage one another when we're serving there are parents who are able to sit here still and attentive to the words falling out of my mouth because there are people who are serving you in the nursery, watching your children. That's an encouragement. I pray that you're encouraged by that. Serving one another. Later, we're going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs and pork burgers and play cornhole. What are we going to do? We're going to laugh, a lot of us. I hope all of us at various points in times. And what is that? That's encouraging. Why? Because our life with Christ has produced joy inside of us. We enjoy the good things that God gives us in this life, and that is used by God in our lives to encourage one another. This doesn't happen when you're absent. And the writer of the Hebrews is very afraid. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. What is the danger for those who are neglecting to meet together? What is the danger for those that are making a habit out of not coming regularly and joining in the worship of God specifically? What's the danger? Falling away. Growing cold. For my love, we just saying the words, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And one of the ways he does is by gathering you with Christians and warming that love, stoking the fire of that love. The danger of not gathering, the danger of making it a habit is that we would grow cold in our love toward God and our love toward Christians. And what then? Now we're in danger of damaging our testimony. We're in danger of making the word of God look like a lie. We start to endanger so much. It's not long once that begins to happen where all of a sudden you start to slip and even your actions will start to show, well, that person is not near unto God. One of the first questions, it's not the first, but one of the first questions that we come to quickly, brother, sister, I haven't seen you. Is there any sin in your life that we need to talk about? Like, oh, pastor, how offensive. I know. I'm aware of that. But it becomes a real concern when you're not regularly gathered together with the body. And if it is a habit of not gathering, if you are developing a habit, as a shepherd, I must know so that I can shepherd you well to return to the truth of God's word, return to the fellowship of God's people, and stand in a right relationship with him that doesn't forsake gathering together and make it a habit, but encourages one another. Your attendance is encouraging to one another. And look, and all the more. You can't do it one time. This is not a one-time deal. All the more, more and more. Gathering together more and more. Stirring one another to love and good works all the more. Why? Because Christ is returning. This is the trumpet call of God's people from the time Christ left this earth in the resurrection and will be until he returns. Christ is returning. Live in light of the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming to judge the nations, me and you. Are you living in light of that return? We must encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Pastor, how do we see the day approaching? Well, just watch the news. It'll tell you. 
Just watch the downward spiral of man. It will give you a good indicator. Well, yeah, but when? At any moment. Too many people have tried to quantify that answer. I won't. When? At any moment. That has been the call of God's people since the moment he left. The time issue. We read these words that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written 2,000 years ago. And they were living in light of Christ's return at any moment. At any moment. Are we living that? Are we stirring one another to love and good works? Are we encouraging one another? Are we drawing near? Are we holding fast to the confession of our hope? Because at any moment, Christ may step out and call his people home. And oh Lord Jesus, that you would do so quickly. Are you in danger of falling back into the old way of life? Are you wandering back to wherever it is that you came from? In the English Standard Version, the words are repeated. Two words, three times over these verses. Let us. It is our responsibility to draw near to God in light of the work of Christ. Let us. It is our responsibility to hold fast to the confession of our hope, which is the work of of Christ. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and encouraging one another as we gather together because of the work of Christ. As we live vertically, these horizontal actions will become compelling to the world around us. And as a Christ-created community is compelling, to the glory of God, more people will be drawn to faith and repentance of sin and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your time in your word today. We look forward to fun this afternoon. We look forward to the food that we will enjoy. Father, we thank you for the classes, the singing, and all the time that we've had together this morning. But Father, in this moment, I pray, strengthen us in our weakness. Father, strengthen us to draw near to you. We praise you, God, that you have made it possible that we, a sinful, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked people could even dare to come to you. We praise you for the work of Jesus Christ and for making a way through him. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us by your blood and sacrifice, your death. Thank you, Jesus, for offering up your life for our sin and for rising again from the dead, that we may be justified. We praise you, Holy Spirit, that stirs us. For we indeed need to be stirred in our hearts. Our thoughts will be off, our hearts will be wrong, unless they are directed by you. And we praise you, God the Holy Spirit, for stirring our thoughts, for encouraging us to encourage one another. We thank you for the work that you do in counseling us, in comforting us, in healing us, that we may in turn stir one another up and encourage one another in our gathering. Father, help us to be the compelling Christ-created community that you have designed for Byron, Michigan. And God, may it be that through our lives with one another, you receive the greatest glory and your gospel sounds forth as loud as possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.